Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with a sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot, until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Rachel, and lifted up his voice, and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother, and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, and embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me.
And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him and he went in unto her and Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid it came to pass that in the morning behold it was Leah And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah his handmaid to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived, and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. 
And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left there. Now you know why the bride's veil is pulled back from her face before she pronounces the vows. In our journey through Genesis, we're now focusing on the life of Jacob. He has swindled, he has lied, he has cheated, he has deceived his brother and his father, dishonored his father, was helped along by his mother, and I don't know what he thought, his brother was just going to grin and bear it, but his brother wanted to kill him. So his mother sent him away for a few days. Little did she know she would never see him again. They were in Bathsheba. He journeyed up to Luz, which he named Bethel after having this experience. Now keep in mind, he'd been a bad guy, right? So he sent away to get a wife without camels and gifts and all the things that Abraham's servant had when he journeyed to the original family homeland and came back with Rebekah. And he was so poor he had to use a rock for his pillow and God in his mercy reached down with a revelation. Who knows God's a God of grace? This guy in his undeserving state is visited with his angelic visitation of a ladder from heaven to earth or from earth to heaven. Angels or messengers from God going up and down and God speaking at the top of the ladder. Now some people call this Jacob's ladder. It's God's ladder. And so he's, he's at this like a, like a portal between heaven and earth, and God speaks to him in an audible voice and renews the promises to him that he had made audibly to Isaac and multiple times to his grandfather, Abraham. He awoke, took that pillow, and turned it into a pillar. He's able to turn pillows into pillars. Anointed it with oil and said, this place is the house of God. And he named the place Lose, which means almond tree, lose for losers. He named it Bethel, the house Bethel, the house of Elohim, the house of God. And the last verse, this is of verse 28 before we go into 29. He says, and this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. There's the beginning of tithing to the house of God <laughs> with this guy's commitment. No law, no commands, just a man's loving heart towards the God of mercy that had promised him. Now we get into our text today. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. So he's continuing on over the Euphrates River. This is like 500 miles. So this took days, weeks to make this journey. And he finally arrives and he comes and sees a well in a field. 
Remember the servant that went on behalf of Abraham looking for a wife for Isaac, stopped at a well? He sees a well, and there are three flocks of sheep laying by it, and uh, it's a place where they were going to get water. They hadn't been watered yet. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Sometimes they would cover a well to keep animals from falling in and uh, enemies from clogging it, so they would hide it. All the flocks were gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to the shepherds, My brethren, where are you from? They said, We're from Haran, which is where he was heading. He said, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. That seems rather curt to me. Ought to be a clue, right? Yeah, we know that guy. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, well. The word he is is in italics. He said, well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. So here's this shepherd girl coming his direction. He says to the shepherds, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the cattle to come here. Water the sheep and go and feed them. They said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth then we water the sheep. So there's a protocol. I don't know if these guys were lazy or if this rock was super heavy or if there was a matter of distrust where they had to do things as a team effort. So while he's speaking to them, Rachel comes up with her father's sheep. She was a shepherdess. And it came to pass that Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, his uncle. This is his first cousin. He goes near to her rose the stone from the well's mouth by itself and waters the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Remember, Rebekah watered the camels for Abraham's servant. So here he is watering Laban's sheep, not knowing one day those sheep would probably be part of the lineage of the sheep that would be his. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. God had been merciful to him. And she was good looking. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her dad. And when Laban heard the report, he runs and embraces him and kisses him and brings him to the house. So he told Laban the whole story. Story, you know, he shouldn't have done that because Laban's from the same family that Rebekah's in. He says to him, Surely, Surely you're my bone and flesh, you're my flesh and blood. And he stayed with him for a month. And then Laban says to him, Because you're my relative, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now some preachers get carried away, and they say Leah was, had something wrong with her eyes, or... Uh, because Leah means weary, maybe she had a sleepy eye. But it, it literally says her eyes were tender. They, there was something about her eyes that was special. So you could say she had nice eyes. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So Rachel was good looking. She had nice eyes and nice other things too. And Jacob loved Rachel. He said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Which no doubt was a very generous dowry. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I give her to another man. 
He's kind of downplaying his love. Yeah, it's better you than somebody else. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now that's love, isn't it? Seven years is a long time. Then Jacob said, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. He's ready for some intimate time with her. He has been restraining himself for seven years. Now, up to this point, Jacob is doing things right. Later on in the story, the family just goes into chaos. But up to this point, in spite of what Laban's trying to do, Jacob's living a moral, clean life, and he's had enough of waiting. Seven years is long enough. I've served you now. Let me have my wife. Maybe you should have said, let me have Rachel. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast, so they had a party. And it came to pass in the evening, he took Leah, his daughter, brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Now she's in a veil. He thinks he's with Rachel until the morning comes. And um, he realizes his wife isn't Rachel. So he runs to his father-in-law. What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? I wonder if he thought, oh, this is how it feels to be swindled. This is how it feels to be tricked, lied to, deceived, cheated. And it appears that Leah maybe was part of that, maybe not. I don't think she was. Her dad was the guy, but she just wanted a man, and she no doubt liked Jacob. So he gets a taste of his own medicine. The scriptures say, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And Jacob had certainly sown some of this kind of operating, and now he got a taste of his own medicine. So why have you deceived me? You know, I've worked for you seven years, and now you've tricked me. And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. No one else approached me on marrying Leah, and then when marriage day come, it had to be Leah. Fulfill her week. Let her have the week of feasting. Let her have her honeymoon. And we will give you this one, or Rachel, also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. So he had to work 14 years to get the woman he wanted, but he didn't have to wait 14 years. He had to wait seven years and a week. <laughs> then he had to work the balance of seven years to complete his agreement. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. And I'm sure they did remove her veil during that ceremony. And Laban uh, gave her his wife and he gave her his maid Bilhah as a maid to Rachel. And then Jacob also went into Rachel. He loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God has mercy on those who are rejected. He's near to the brokenhearted. Back on the subject of sowing and reaping, 
Colossians, Paul wrote, he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So because of Jacob's wrongdoing, he's reaping what he has sown, and yet God's purposes are going to be fulfilled in his life. Isn't God awesome? He can take our mess and make a message without violating his own word. So she conceives and has a child and names him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Now I've had a child, surely he's going to love me because I'm more fruitful than Rachel. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. But God's had merciful on me. Maybe my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son. Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she called his name Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing for a season. And we found out why in the next chapter when Rachel starts crying, I want to die, I wish I was dead because I'm not having kids. So it kind of put a stop on Jacob's visits with Leah for a while. I'd like to speak to you on this subject, fruit from dysfunction, fruition from dysfunction, blessings from being busted, (laughs) harvest out of harshness. The word dysfunction means an abnormality or impairment in the function of a specified bodily organ or system. It's a deviation from the norms of social behavior in a way regarded as bad. Sometimes it can be a social dysfunction based on culture. You know, you just... uh, In our culture, we stand and let the elderly sit in our seat. But sometimes if you ride a public bus, you see young folks very dysfunctional. They're not operating according to our function. And elderly people having to stand and, and they're not being honored. If there's a dysfunction in your body, things aren't going right. Barrenness can be part of that. Lameness, other things can happen. A dysfunction in your family. Divorce can happen. Chaos can happen. Murder can happen. Dysfunction in our culture. Who knows there's a lot of dysfunction in America. Yet God can bring revival in the midst of riots. Righteousness in the midst of riotousness. We're focusing on the fruit from Leah's life. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Reuben means, look, a son. Jacob, look, look, I have a son. The story continues, then she conceived again and bore another son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon, or Simon, Shimon. It means hearing. Listen, there's another baby in the house. 
The Lord has heard my cry. Maybe my husband will love me. And then comes the third son. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she called his name Levi. Levi means attached or connected. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And Judah means praise. Now, we'll see as we go into the story in future weeks, Rachel was a pagan. But this woman was a believer in Yahweh. The Lord, that's Jehovah, Jehovah. I'm going to praise Jehovah, Judah. From this son comes the lineage of Jesus. From this son comes the name Judea. From this son comes the name Jews, Jewish, Judaism. It all comes from this. There's revelation for us today through the names of these sons and Leah's heart condition. She wanted her husband to love her. She had a son. She was blessed. His name means look a son. Look, my husband, maybe my husband will love me. She has Simeon. Listen, there's a baby in the house. The Lord has heard my cry. I know the Lord's heard me. He's given me another child. Maybe my husband will love me. And then the third child is born. She names him Levi, which means attached. Maybe my husband will now connect with me. How did she feel being married to a man that hated her, that resented her, that really didn't care for her? focused on her sister. Now, as the Torah law came into being, it became a serious sin to marry two sisters. But in this case, Jacob being what it is with Laban, it had happened. So she's hoping for an attachment. So notice, notice the self-centeredness in this. Look, a son, love me. Listen, God's heard my cry. My prayer's going to be answered. Me, 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 me. Be attached to me. How many have been there? Why won't my prayer be answered? Why won't my desire be met? And then as you grow and mature spiritually, the Lord brings you to a place of worship. And all we do is worship and bow down because the Lord is our defender. We come to the place, I'm just going to praise the Lord. Whether... My desires are met the way I want them. Whether life goes the way I dream, whether or not I have the storybook family, <laughs> whether or not my family's on the cover of a homeschool magazine, as honoring as that would be, I'm going to worship the Lord and thank Him for the good things. Martin Luther King Sr. was interviewed by the press. How have you survived disasters? Your well-known son, Martin Luther King Jr., was assassinated. Your other son drowned in his own swimming pool at 2 a.m., which is a very mysterious death. The loss of two sons, how do you survive that? And then that Sunday when your wife was playing the organ at your church and you were out of town and a gunman came in looking for you and killed her instead of you in front of the congregation, how have you survived that? 
He said, you've got to learn to rejoice in what's left. In facing loss, you haven't lost everything. You've got to learn to rejoice in what's left. What does the psalmist say? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Leah, you may not have the world's greatest husband, but you're breathing. Praise the Lord. So we'll see later on in the story, she'll have another son. And she names him a reward. She's focused. Issachar means a reward. She's focusing on the fact she's blessed. There's not this neediness. Oh, I need my husband to love me. And then the next child, Zebulon, means habitation. I'm settling down. I'm learning to be content in every state. My habitation. Now in the midst of this time, the two maids had two children apiece. And finally, Rachel has two kids. But out of those four women, Leah is the only one that has a daughter. And she named her Dinah, which means justice. Justice. Now, many times in life, we have this thing backwards. We want justice and we want it now. We want justice and we want it now. We want justice and we want it now. It's not fair. Life's full of unfairness, right? And until we get justice, we're not going to settle down. And, and uh, we're not going to feel rewarded. And we're not going to give God any praise. And we're not going to live a life of peace and connectedness. And we're not going to listen to what God has to say to us because we want justice first. We're going to blame him for all our problems. But order begins with Reuben. Order begins with the Son. This, my friends, is Jesus who came through Judah, came through the Son that brought her surrender to God, going to trust Him. I'm going to praise the Lord any way. In Jamaica, they, uh, in the 70s, would sing songs and clap their hands above their head. Hallelujah, anyhow. I never let my troubles get me down. Hallelujah, anyhow. She learned to hallelujah anyhow in spite of it. So for us, in hearing the gospel, it begins with, look, a son. Look, he's lifted up on a pole. Those of you that are being bitten by the snake bite of sin, look. The serpent has been judged. The Son of God is lifted up and drawing all men to himself. And he will hear your prayers. And through him you can have a relationship. No man comes to the Father but by me. And you have a reason to praise. And hope of a reward in times to come. And a place of habitation. And finally, eternal justice in the future is ours. Isn't that beautiful? Christ is the great transformer. We heard last Sunday about transformation. If you didn't hear that teaching, you need to do it. Check it out online, generationspeople.org. 
Jesse Duncan did a phenomenal job. You've heard me read this before. If you've come here for a, you know, just a few years, you'll hear me bring this up again and again, how God is able to transform our messes into messages, our trials into triumphs, the awfulness of sin into a revelation of the awesomeness of him, the beggarly elements of this world, the beautiful elements of his world. He's able to turn beauty out of ashes, the garment of praise from the spirit of heaviness. He can take the crises caused by us and unite us with Christ's cause for us. Take us from defeat and despair to dynamic dominion, from the effects of sinful sowing to the effects of his mercy sown. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve it. God is not mocked. We're all going to reap what we sow. So how do we have faith? God came and sowed a superior seed. The seed promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that would bless the families of the earth, who took the curse of sin, the, the sentence of death upon himself, and died on a tree, hanging between heaven and earth, hung up for our hang-ups, so that we not reap the wages of sin that we have sown. He's taken us from our gory details to his glorious destiny, from the horror of hell to the holiness of heaven, from ignorant blindness to eyes that can see, look a son, from judgments made to justice served, from the killing of potential to his kindness resurrecting, the love of the world that hurts us to the love of God that heals us, from no hope and no peace to new hope and knowing peace, from old ways of guilt and destruction to one way of guiltless restoration, from the payment of regret to the payment of redemption, from quivering weakness to quickening power, from being really wrong to being made really right, from a shame name to a new name in the name of the one who bore our shame. He can take our tests and make them into testimonies. First the test, then the moaning. He can take our ugly past and give us an ultimate future. From our victimization to our victorious vision. He can free us from worry and bring us to a place of worship. He can exchange the excrements of our wickedness to his excellence. From our youthful lust to yielded trust. From the zoo of our sin's consequences to zeal for Christ and his consciousness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're able to bring fruition from dysfunction. You're able to bring Christ out of crises. Lord, you're able to take a family like Jacob's and bring good to bless the world. And Lord, I pray for every person here that's in situations that they regret. And I pray, Lord, the days of looking for who to blame and even blaming ourselves and feeling condemned would come to an end that we would embrace the reality that you take us like we are, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Lord, you are able to take our mess and make a masterpiece. We give you glory and honor and praise for this. In Jesus' name, amen. I want the praise team to come forward and us sing that last song again. 
And when we hit the chorus, it is well with my soul, may we sing it with new revelation. It is well. It's not just going to be well. It is well. Because I'm a masterpiece in the making. Amen? Give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah.
scripture on my heart from Romans 5, and it is, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When we were enemies, to under understand, really understand that, we have to go back to the Jewish writings that explain some of the things that happened in the Bible that we go, what happened in this part of the Old Testament? What, well, how come we can't understand that today? Those writings kind of elaborate on what took place at that time. And one of the stories is that in the Holy of Holies, so in temple worship, they had this area that only one person went into on the Day of Atonement. And when he went into that, when the priest went into that area, he went in with a rope tied around him. Because he passed through that veil into that Holy of Holies, that holy room, and that rope was tied around him because if he wasn't holy, he wasn't coming out alive. And they couldn't go in and get him. So to use that rope to pull him back out of that area. Now when Jesus came and he lived his life, perfect life, sinless life, he came and then he was tortured for something he never did. And uh, he was God. He could have left. He could have decided that we weren't worth it. And he could have left, but he didn't. He stayed. And he went through the death on the cross. He stayed on the cross. He didn't call the legion of, legions of angels to come and get him, to kill everybody who was there and take him off the cross. He stayed. And then he died. And when he died, there was this great earthquake, and the veil was torn in two. And when that veil was torn, the veil between the Holy of Holies, where the Father was, and between here where we are, when that was torn, it made every believer who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior eligible to walk into the Father, to step into that Holy of Holies in his presence, because you are no longer guilty of sin. You are no longer have your unrighteousness imputed to yourself. It is imputed to Jesus. So you walk through that veil covered in the blood of Jesus, covered by his blood. What the father sees is his perfect daughter, his perfect son. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you thought about doing or not doing. You get to walk into that holy of holies, into the presence of the Father, with completely righteous, completely whole, completely sinless. And you get to go before the Father as a child goes before its parent, his mother or his father, and ask for things they need. We get to do the same thing. So unlike the priest, whose unrighteousness had to be carried and borne on his own shoulders, our unrighteousness, the things that we think and do or don't say or do say, we, just can, we, can, we can repent and turn from those things, leave them behind us, and go to the Father in that perfect, 
perfect, perfect wholeness. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you didn't get your mind around how important it was that one time you were an enemy of God, just as I was, just like that priest who walked into that room and didn't know if he was going to come out alive because of something he thought or his own unrighteousness and sin, if you kind of thought that in your own mind that you got in front of the Father because of something you you did right for yourself, you're wrong. (laughs) I'm telling you today, you're wrong. You get there only by the blood of his son. Only. So if that's you today, you better not be ashamed of what you believe. And you better not be afraid to say, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that his son did what he did for me. So I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm not... (laughs) I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads, and I want you to search your own heart. Where are you with Jesus? Where are you? I want you to think about your relationship, and where are you? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Maybe today is the first day between what Pastor Ellen has had the message that Pastor Ellen delivered to us this morning. Maybe you didn't understand what we've been rescued from. Maybe you didn't understand that if you're not a believer, you are an enemy of God. Maybe you didn't understand that. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. If you're ready to make a difference, to change your life, to give your life, don't do it lightly. It's, It's important. This is a big decision. If you're ready to give your life over to Jesus Christ, and to walk in his ways and his truth and declare his holiness and his righteousness has covered you. Raise your hand. Who are you? You know you want to give your life to the Lord. Come on up here. Is this the first time you've given your life? Okay. Would you mind would you mind doing that in front of everybody? Come on. What's your name? Preston. Preston. Can anybody say what your name is? Thank you, Lord. Right. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for this congregation that you've given to us here in Granbury and all the others that are around the world. I just pray that you can set my my life back on the right track. Help me what I'm help me with what I'm going through. Help me make a difference in my school and think about you 24/7. And every time I make a decision, I would think about what you would want me to do. I would just pray that you come into my heart. I just pray that you can help me with what I'm going through. In Jesus' name, amen. Preston, don't go anywhere. How old are you? 16. The Lord is going to use you in your school. You just continue to be bold and confident for him. Okay? You just keep doing what you want to do to serve the Lord and your fellow students. Listen for God's voice and your fellow students will come around and they will follow you because you are a leader. You stepped out... 
You stepped out, and we need young men and young women to step out the way that you just did and not be ashamed or afraid, or, but walk in that boldness that Christ gave you. So I'm really proud of you. Can I give you a hug? Yeah. Father, we just thank you so much for how you love us. Yes. That even it's just one that's lost, that you go out and leave the 99 to find the one. And Father, we glorify you for this day that you've given us. Yes, Lord. And that we can have our hope found in you. And no matter what the battle brings, that you send your son Jesus before us. And Lord, that you bring the victory as we pray and ask it. So Father, we just close this service today. And we thank you for this one. And we thank you for the many that are yet to come. And we thank you for the honor and the privilege of being alive at such a time as this. To be used as the body of Christ to bring love to a lost and dying world. And we say, no matter what comes, it is well with our soul. Amen.